the next episode of Nerd Flicks and Chill will start in three, two, one, zero. Hey, everybody! This is Nick, and this is Carrie, and we are Nerd Flicks and Chill. And it's time for our final Westworld season two recap for the finale episode called "The Passenger." Uh, it's been a long season, had some uh, great moments. And we finally reach our finale where all things come together, Carrie. Yeah, they all they all come together. Now, you and I have not talked about this, as we typically don't do before we record. So I have no idea, as always, what you thought of this episode. But I have to say, this episode left me really confused. Really confused. It seems like... Westworld has had a really good track record of, you know, leaving you really kind of confused and not knowing what's going on, but everything kind of comes together and, and it just like clears the pathway. And it's like, wow, the, the light has been turned on and I see it all. And I, this was as clear as mud for me, this finale. I think that seems to be the big takeaway is that that it was very confusing for a lot of people. Now, for yeah. me, I, like I I agree that there are, there is definitely some confusion that's still lingering. There are some questions about what the rules of this world are. Yeah, there are also some questions about what the characters' motivations are in some cases as well. And uh, at the same time, I actually really like this finale a lot, so I'm able to really enjoy it. Uh, for its artistry and for some of the powerful moments that are here. But I also agree that there is some stuff that that is a little bit confusing. Yeah, I think there were some amazing visuals in this. So, I mean, as far as the artistry goes, I am totally on board. I, I love it. And I have to say that for the majority of this season... I've been on board with the storytelling and I've, I th- have thought and have felt that it has been just some amazing episodes. And, you know, you and I have both said that we think that some of the strongest of the entire series has been in this season. Yeah. But then I would say the episode before, episode nine and this one, episode 10, to me, the storytelling got a little muddy. And a little confusing, and it wasn't as clear cut uh, as everything else has been. And it almost feels to me like it was like, holy crap, we only have two episodes left. We have so much we have to throw in there. And it just, it's like they just kind of just threw everything in. And it, I don't want to say that it feels sloppy, but it's like, it, it's almost as if there could have been. Like two or three more episodes of this. Hmm. It's interesting you say that because I've actually heard people say that this this season could have done with maybe done a better job with less episodes. Well, maybe. Uh, there were two episodes this season that didn't really move the plot forward at all. But for me, I think those two episodes were probably some of the strongest of the entire season. Uh, the one where we were entirely in Shogun world 
and then the other one where we really explored um, Akechida and his story. Yeah. Um, so I, I could understand if people were like, you know what? We didn't need those two episodes because it didn't really give us anything um, plot-wise of the overall story. But I really did feel that those were some of the most interesting of this season. So I, I guess I can I can understand either way where that would be trimming the fat. But man, those were such good episodes. Yeah, and there, I don't know. There's a couple things in this season when I look at the arcs as a whole that leave me scratching my head a little bit. And I don't know if these are just truly loose ends that need to be uh, picked up on next season or what. But one of them is the permanence of death. Right. Are some of these characters dead or not? Why do we feel more resonance when we lose somebody like Abernathy than we do when we lose somebody like Teddy? Why is Dolores able to take five shots from a pistol, but Maeve gets shot twice and she dies? I, yes. There are these like consistency things that yep. are, that create a little bit of cognitive dissonance in, in my mind when I watch this show. And I know that the hosts are essentially, uh, immortal now. But there doesn't seem to be any kind of permanence of death, which I think in some cases undercuts some of the sacrifice in the story. Well, and I think that goes against uh, something that Dolores was talking about when they were talking about the um, uh, the cradle and, you know, how they had all of their backups in there. She's like, no, we're going to destroy the cradle because that's that's just those are chains, you know, we're going to get rid of that. And basically saying so that death is final for us. So that's, you know, it, and yet it's not because we've seen them be resurrected even after the cradle was destroyed. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 as I mentioned just a moment ago, it's just, it's very muddy and confusing. Yeah, and I think this finale, while ultimately I really like the episode, because I actually do think they make some some really brilliant choices in here for some of these things, it, there are some things that just do not make sense as of yeah. right now. Yeah. And I think that's, that's some of it. And uh, we can kind of talk about it as we go, but as you try to recap this episode, it does get a little bit um, difficult to kind of keep track of everything. So just kind of starting off, we get some stuff with... Um, Dolores and Bernard and kind of how, you know, essentially what we find out in this episode is that Dolores decided to make, remake Arnold, but he was too Arnold-like, so they tried to make something new in his place, which I think is actually kind of a cool metaphor for humanity in this particular episode and what the show's perception of humanity is. See, I didn't necessarily take that he was too Arnold-like. I I understood it as he was close. He wasn't exactly Arnold, but it, it was close. And then, and then Dolores is like, well, you know what? You're not exactly like him, but maybe, and of course, I'm not quoting her directly because I can never remember, but it's like, you know, you're not exactly like him, but... Maybe that's a good thing because Arnold didn't make it. So yeah. it's a good thing that you're not like him. So, and it's like, okay, once she had that realization, it's like, then we're going to go down this other path. So I, I didn't 
see it as she thought he was too much like Arnold. It was like, well, you're close, but not quite. But maybe this is a good thing. And let's just roll with it. Yeah, I think she likes Bernard more. Because yeah. Bernard is not as fallible, maybe, in her yeah. perception of it. Uh, we also have a scene where we've got Dolores and Teddy. They're still laying on the ground. Um, he's dead. She takes that bullet from his gun, uh, takes his pearl out of his head, and she's just off and running where she eventually runs into the man in black. And uh, what's really cool about this scene is, I don't know, I'm not sure if you noticed this the second time around, but as Dolores is riding through the desert, and we got all those great shots of her, do you notice the Game of Thrones theme in this particular scene as she's riding on horseback? No! Is it? It is, uh, it's not a full statement of the Game of Thrones theme, but it is very much there. If what you're the listening How- for it, you'll 100% pick it up. It's not a full statement, but it's like most of it. Like what section? I want you to sing it for me now. What section is it? Oh, no, it's can it's you, the main theme. It? Oh, it's okay. the main theme. It's that main drive throughout the the the, I was, the theme. I was, I was hoping maybe you could hum <laughs> a few bars for me just to entertain me right now. I mean, just just hum the main theme, and you'll hear most of it <gasps> in those particular scenes. All right, all right. Now I'm going to go back and watch that though because I I did not pick up on that at all. Yeah, and you, it's one of two Game of Thrones references in this episode that I think are actually pretty direct. And this one is just right there in the music. And people can think whatever they want to about this finale, but one thing that is absolutely stunning in this finale is the music. So much great music this season in the show. Oh, yeah. Which is amazing because um, Ramin Javadi has been on tour um, performing music from Game of Thrones. And so he's been actually writing a lot of the music for this season while he has been on tour, which is just astounding. Hmm. Um, and, and this scene with the man in black and Dolores riding is really interesting. If you follow, um, Evan Rachel Wood on Instagram at all, she's just recently after the finale, she's been posting all these little vignettes, all these little videos that her and other cast members have made as they were making the season. And she had promised, you know, that she couldn't post or she wouldn't be able to post it until after the season finale. And she actually posted. I think it was a picture of her and uh, so it was basically Dolores and the man in black on horseback. And she's like, I will never forget us filming this scene because they filmed a lot of this season completely out of order. So they had no idea what the storyline was. And she said, um, Ed Harris was like, why the fuck am I on a horseback with Dolores right now? Like, they couldn't figure out, like, why are we riding together? I don't understand. Because <laughs> they filmed so much of it just completely out of sequence. So they just didn't know how this fit. And with everything else that they had been doing, it just did not make any sense at all. Yeah, and some of those riding shots are not, like, they don't have the context of the scene. Yeah, not They're at all. They're just riding. They don't know. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. But also, I'm going to back up just a, a smidge to it's actually the end of last episode and then with the beginning of this one and i don't know why and you had mentioned this just very briefly you would think that teddy's death would have more resonance i felt nothing from that 
And yeah. I mean, I I guess you know, Dolores and and she's kind of laying there with him. That almost felt disingenuine with me too. I mean, I I don't I don't know how I feel about Teddy's death. I mean, maybe it's because he's died so many times right. throughout this. I don't know why. It just I didn't feel anything from it. I didn't feel any. I didn't feel any repercussions. I didn't feel any repercussions of it. It didn't seem like it affected Dolores at all. It was just like, oh, okay, I'm gonna just gonna stand up and move on. And it, yeah, and it makes me wonder if that's the storytelling conceit that's going on here, where it's like. You know, these hosts die so much that death isn't always permanent for them. So when they die on the show, you shouldn't be as uh, wrapped up in their loss because they can just keep coming back and just keep, you know, regenerating over and over and over again. But then, you know, you got to wonder, is that good storytelling? I mean, what what is the grand scheme here? What are the rules around the permanence of death for these characters? Yeah, it's like it doesn't matter. Okay, well, let me just cut your head open and take your pearl, and then we'll just re- we'll just rebuild you. Yeah, so I, I don't do, feel anything. I do like that they pair up Dolores and the Man in Black again here. It does feel like their interests are somewhat aligned. So it is, I think, a good storytelling idea to pair them up. Yeah. And again, he's still digging in his arm. He's he, the Man in Black has taken quite a beating this season. He really has. And and yet he still keeps ticking as well. I mean, much like Dolores, he got shot a couple times. And yeah, he's a little worse for wear, but uh, he seems to be doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's doing all right. Uh, and then, of course, we see everybody kind of beginning to converge on the valley. We see Bernard getting there. We see Akechida and his uh, kind of cavalcade of... Uh, hosts that he's leading there. We see Clementine on her way there. So Which everybody, I love that shot. Oh, yeah. Everybody's starting to converge on the valley. Although I will say it is a little bit strange that they're trying to hurry to get to the valley. But, like, why not just put Clementine in a car? Why does she have to be on horseback? Because it's dramatic and it's such an awesome scene to see her kind of riding in horseback in slow motion with her blank face with yeah. all those cars behind her. It looks so cool. I, I think it, it's just like, purely she been visual. Standing up in one of those in one of those cars, and it would look the same way. Yeah, it would have been kind of like um, Mad Max, and I like think Mad that, Max Beyond yeah. Thunderdome visual yeah. and, or something. And they're in a hurry to get there. Like they're in a hurry. So why are they wait, why are they behind a horse? I feel like those little uh those little cars, those little all-terrain vehicles, I feel like those are faster than a horse. Maybe they're not faster than a horse. I don't know. Yes, they have less than 1 horsepower apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my thing is, you can't have her on the horse and then also talk about what a time crunch you're in. Yeah, that's true. But it's such a cool visual. Yes, it absolutely is a cool visual. And that like it's that's like a very Michael Bay thing, right? Where it's like he oh always God. sacrifices the storytelling for the shot. He'll conceive this really great shot in his head and then <laughs> the storytelling to establish the shot is just so utterly absurd. Uh there's yeah. a little bit of that going on here. I'm not going to knock it too much, but uh it's just kind of a weird little thing that that you notice. Oh, now I don't like it since you compared it to Michael Bay. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was in slow motion, but there was like no slow, there was no explosion or anything weird that happened with it, but yeah, damn it. 
<laughs> so the other thing that this episode is is doing here, it's taking all the different timelines that we've seen and it's kind of bringing them all together. And that's really the big thing that's happening here. Yeah, in in this moment. And then it just it just keeps going around and back and forth and it kind of made my brain hurt a little bit. Um, after this scene, though, we do get one of my favorite scenes of this episode. It is where Maeve is about to be put down, and she uses some hosts to help, you know, kill the the tech guy who is about to take her out. And then she has this whole moment of awesomeness with these cows, with these, I guess they're bulls, maybe, I don't know. They're set loose, and they start taking out the QA team. It's It's so awesome. It's amazing because they are like not fully formed. They're like half armature, half, um, you know, fully realized bulls that are just running free and in slow yeah. motion. And, and with her kind of stepping in with this, uh, like toga that she made and, and I love the line. She says, you know, well, y- you took too long, so I saved myself. Yeah. I love it. You know, it. I love this scene. I really do. It's And the, the music is so awesome, and Maeve comes off looking like a superhero in a way. Yeah. You know what kind of bothers me about this scene, though? The one thing that bothers me is this scene is obviously a pivotal moment. It's obviously an oh shit moment in this show, but we saw it in the trailer. Why would you put this in the trailer? Yeah. Because like, you know. knew it was going to happen. And you're like, wow, that's still awesome. But I wish it was a little bit more of a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, because I know. it's so cool. I agree. It's the literal, like, interpretation of the bull in the china shop. Right. <laughs> you, know, you have all these glass walls and these QA guys. And it's also an interesting storytelling moment because these QA guys have been running around trying to put down hosts. But, like... What's going to happen when it's just a bunch of bulls running at you? Right. Yeah, I, I I agree with you with that. But again, it looked so cool. Oh yeah, yeah. And the way like it's it's full on like Mave hero shot. She almost looks like a superhero with a cape, with you know, and like the camera just hits her perfectly as she steps into frame. It's 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 all really really well done. Yeah. Um, I also love the look on Armistice's face as the bulls are just taking these guys out the actual like she does a really great shocked impression <laughs> well they all did i loved seeing the shots of all of the hosts and then um what's his face just all of them just in complete awe of what was happening yeah i thought that was awesome uh then we jump back to the man in black and dolores and bernard they all converge at the forge now, there's a QA team that's there that basically gets shot up by Dolores and the Man in Black. We have a little bit of a standoff, and then we have the Man in Black trying to kill Dolores. He shoots her five times. She walks through the bullets, and then she jammed his gun with the bullet Teddy used to kill himself. And he ends up blowing his hand off in a very gory, disgusting, and awesome visual. Yeah, so this whole scene I thought was odd i mean one because yes 
Dolores has gotten, she's gotten shot five times in the chest and nothing happens. But the thing that's strange too is that it seems as if those bullets hardly do anything. Like they just, it just makes a little tiny splash of blood. Like it doesn't even look like there's a bullet hole. It looks like she was shot with like a BB or something. Yeah. It's just, it's very strange. Like it doesn't have like a regular like bullet hole. And I don't know. It's just weird. When she's walking through those gunshots as she's taking them, there is something incredibly powerful about that imagery. We've seen it before with her this season. It's the same thing that makes, you know, the Luke Cage imagery so powerful or Superman. These characters, you know, like, like guns are so violent and unforgiving, but these people can just walk through these, these, um, these attacks from guns. And there's something very, visually very powerful about it um however the the storytelling logic is that why didn't he just shoot for the head um you know so it's one of those things where it it, again it's kind of like you compromise the logic for the shot well it's it's not only that i mean (laughs) It's the fact that you, what you had said earlier, how, how is it that she can take so many shots and it hardly even knocks her back. She continues to walk and talk while all of this is happening. And yet Maeve gets shot twice and she's like left for dead. Yeah. Well, and the other part of it too, I guess, is there's a little bit of narrative symmetry going on here. Now you could also say that, you know, maybe the man in black was aiming for her head, but the dude's been shot five times himself. He's also dug a hole in his arm, so maybe his aim isn't as good as he'd like it to be. <laughs> That's um, true. Like he just, he just was a little bit off and instead of hitting her head, he hit her body. Um, but I also think there's a little bit of, um, of storytelling symmetry going on with the bullets that she's taking and she keeps getting stronger seemingly, um, you know, the more damage she takes. Whereas the man in black has been shot several times and he's weakening. And I think there's some sort of, um, you know, contrast being made, some sort of juxtaposition that's taking place within the story with those two characters. Hmm, something tells me you might be giving them a little bit too much credit for that, but I'll go with it. Well, I mean, it it is a season full of reflections, and we do see a lot of characters get shot up in this particular episode. No, that's true. There's a lot of shooting up of some very major characters in this episode. There is. We are running out of humans, by the way. Yeah. Um, then the next the next sequence is where things get really difficult to try to explain everything that happened. Like if you were to if you were like trying to explain to a friend of yours what was happening, this scene would completely lose them because we have this weird time jump thing happening where you've got uh, Bernard and Stubbs and Hale and Strand and they're all heading to the valley beyond. Then it cuts back to Bernard and Dolores entering the forge and they keep cross cutting back to Hale entering the forge so like this is a a timeline jump where you've got the bernard and dolores story happening you know in the events shortly after the gala end of season one and then the events after the flood so it's like pre-flood and post-flood right and they're kind of starting to contrast everything they're trying to get the control unit um you know so there's there's all different kinds of stuff but eventually as Dolores and Bernard go into the forge, they make their way in, 
and uh, they actually kind of connect themselves into the system. But uh, this scene is just kind of starting to set up the the cross-cutting timelines that will eventually be brought together. This one I didn't have a problem with. I could follow along with this one. Because it, it's consistent with how they have done it throughout this season. Yeah. It is, it's beyond this in this episode where a lot of the timeline things and the things that they are trying to say in the episode or set up in the episode where it just gets really fucking confusing. Yeah. But up until now, I was pretty good. <laughs> well, they they actually go into the forge and or into the system and we start to, you know, see them back at the Mariposa. We see Clem and the Mave roll when they're in there. I thought that was interesting. That was interesting. And we're seeing multiple versions of Delos as well, which yeah. is really weird. So these were all the different variations that they can run, these different simulations of the life of Jim Delos. Yeah. And we're seeing how um, th- this was kind of a baseline test for his behavior and how small changes within the actual program can yield large changes in actual behavior. So that's why we see him inside the Mariposa and he is kind of, you know, just ready to have a good time. And then out in the street, uh, he is like a lunatic executing hosts. Yeah. It's that whole butterfly effect theory. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Dolores is trying to go to a deeper level and interact with the system, and the system presents itself in the form of Logan, which may be my favorite storytelling choice in this episode. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, from, from this point, when they're in the forge, it started feeling like episode, or, uh, movie three of The Matrix. When they are having the conversation with the, um, oh my God, what is the, the guy's name? Yes. That's what this kind of reminded me of. Some of this reminded me of that a little bit, but done better than the Matrix did because the Matrix like was really fucked with my head. But this to me had twinges of that. Yeah, I mean, I actually really love the idea of bringing Logan back to do this very thing. I I like the the way that they can you know reuse this character in a way. Uh, it's not really Logan; it is just kind of a a version of Logan that's been reconstructed from memories that that Delos had. But to me, Logan. it doesn't. But to me, it doesn't make sense of why you would why the system would take. The form of him. I like the idea that it's Logan because as they are kind of walking through the system, they're walking through effectively the Jim Delos portion of the system. And who better than Logan? Like, I don't know who else you would use to be a physical manifestation of the system that would be better. I mean, you could have used Jim Delos himself, but we're kind of observing him. So the idea that it was Logan... I thought was actually a really good choice. Uh, I suppose 
maybe. Um, I mean, just because of his connection to Jim Delos and, and there is that portion where you kind of see Delos being analyzed and he's like, you know, I would do anything for my son. Like his son was his cornerstone. So I guess, I guess I can get that, but I don't necessarily see Logan as that like um supervisory overseeing all knowledge system I I just I don't see the character matching with that um yeah and I think that's what makes it so interesting Okay. So the fact that it's something that doesn't make sense makes it interesting. I think I think that given the route that they were going where mm-hmm. they want to get inside the system and have a character be a physical manifestation of the system, I think it's a good choice to choose somebody who we have already seen before. Right. But to me that's a, just another thing that makes it a bit more cloudy. Especially when, I mean, Dolores even says so herself, where she's like, uh, Logan never came back to the park. Like, why is this Logan? Like, even she was questioning it. So, um, I mean, just because it's somebody we've seen before, that doesn't, I don't know. It just, it didn't. I don't know. It just, for whatever reason, it just didn't fit well with me. They're like, this just doesn't make sense. Is it just because we have this actor and we have to use him again? Or we really liked him and he was really nice to have on set. So let's just put him in this role. Well, I think that in order to kind of understand that world, it's good to have somebody that's accessible, but he's also different. He He's... Uh, uh, um but he was a but he was a real life but he was a real person and now granted i and and that's where it gets a little muddy too is that you know i understand that they made copies of everybody that came in into the park so there it's logic to think okay well he would be in there at some in some form because he visited the park but um well logan never went back again well, that's true, but he did go at least once, but I guess that was before they started doing all of right. that. Right, it was before they yeah. took over, before they started the project. Yeah, so all the more reason of why he shouldn't have been in there then. I I don't know, I almost, I, you know who I would have liked to have seen come back and be in that role? Angela. And now granted, she doesn't necessarily have um, a, a connection to Delos, but she was that host that would be there at the beginning. That was she was the host that kind of walked you through into and it was your introduction to Westworld. If it was her that was the system, I think that would have been really cool. She was the one who sacrificed herself to take down the cradle. And then for her to actually be the the embodiment of the system itself. I actually think that would have been really kind of cool. I don't think that would have been a bad choice. I still like the idea of Logan better because, you know, it, it's also funny kind of in a little bit off of this topic is that the more you think about this show, and I think there's even a meme that's gone around about it online, is that Logan was the one character who did Westworld the right way. 
Yeah, he was. <laughs> you know, like re- when you look at it in retrospect, he was the one who understood it uh, best, and in you know didn't destroy the world by by going to Westworld. Yeah, pretty much. But there's some really cool stuff here in this particular uh, sequence with Logan and Dolores and Bernard. He's walking them through you know, these different aspects of when they were trying to recreate Delos and and this project to kind of replicate a human being. And this is where I think a lot of people have issues with this episode, because what Logan does here, and I like the way, the brilliant thing is how they kind of deconstruct a human being. This is like, they're like essentially deconstructing all the things that that make us human and kind of analyzing them. And I really like the way this happens. And I think one of the reasons why people have an issue with this episode is it presents human beings in the grimmest possible terms. Well, that's not why I have a problem with this episode. (laughs) Not because of that. I think that the observation that they make and present in this episode regarding humans is actually, yeah, it's incredibly grim, but you know what? It's pretty fucking true. Well, it, but, it's pulled from, it's pulled from the real world. It's pulled from a, it, it's a very cynical view of humanity. Yeah. And it comes directly from Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. And they talked about how whenever they turn on the news or whenever they consume news, the world just seems increasingly more fucked. And we end up in these cycles where we end up repeating these same awful behaviors over and over and over again. And that energy, that cynicism about humanity is what has manifested itself into the show. Now, I think that you can also look at it as, you know, they're doing it based off of the data that they have in Westworld. And Westworld is a place for the elites, 40,000 bucks a day, 4 million people have gone. These are the most financially well-off people who have come to Westworld to indulge in all of their vices. And I think there's probably um, the only thing that you could glean from the minds of the super wealthy who come to uh, hurt and indulge and you know all their violent impulses. I think you can only glean cynicism from an analysis of them. Oh, yeah, completely. Another kind of cool part of this, I'm not sure if you noticed this or not, but it is a really small little detail. But as they're walking through that big corridor, off to the right where you see the man in black sitting in that room. Yeah. On the other side is Maeve and parts of season one for Maeve. Really? Yeah, you see Maeve and Felix in a room together, and then you see Maeve again where after she had been shot by the man in black, where she's, you know, got the the rancher dress on and she's like bleeding in her stomach. No shit. I did, obviously did not notice that. I wonder if you go back to those scenes in season 1 if you see somebody wearing all black off to the side. That'd be <laughs> interesting. But but I think what that tells me is that the system has information on Felix, meaning they were monitoring the staff as well, and has information on Maeve. Well, they say that they did. In fact, um, um, 
Charlotte Hale mentions that. Yes, she does. Yeah, later on, at the towards the end of, or later on in the episode. And the other thing that I really like about this is that Logan says to Dolores and Bernard, one of the things that as they were testing these, you know, basically, not to use a Blade Runner term, but these replicants, these these uh, human host hybrids that they were trying to make, they wanted to test for fidelity. And one of the things that Logan says as the system that they found most interesting was the stories that they tell themselves. The things they say to, to, to you know, convince themselves of things. The that stories they, too- they choose to believe about themselves. And you get that shot of James Delos, and he's talking about, you know, Logan, and how he talks about how, you know, he's, you know, this and that, but I'd do anything for him. Right. But then in the next scene... The defining moment of Jim Dellis's life, he turns his son away when he's in need. Right. It's, uh, there was something that um, Logan slash the system says is that their stories were too complicated. And it was like, they're, they're better if they just stick to their loops. I thought it was really interesting how they, he kind of boiled it down and is like, they're overly simple. They're more they're more simple than we are. <laughs> right. And I but just thought I, that was really interesting. The thing that I love about this particular sequence is this, and I mean this is very cynical about humanity, but essentially it's it's labeling human beings as being fully hypocritical. Fully hypocritical, where you say that you love your child, you say that you'll do anything for your child, but in the most defining moment of your life, you turned your child away. Right. And we would rather believe the archetypal stories about humanity, the archetypal stories about human beings, so much so that we say things to fall into those archetypes, but when it comes time to act out our values, we don't. And I think that is that is actually really well written, I think that is incredibly cynical, no doubt about it. If you have a hopeful view of humanity, chances are this episode did not resonate with you. Um, <laughs> but it is very well written, and it is a scathing indictment of, um, you know, people. And he talked about how um, human we- human beings don't really have free will. All they can do at best is live according to their code. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it just, it really makes you, it did me anyway, just makes me think about, you know, your life and what you're doing with it. And, you know, we've all been there. Thank God I'm not there anymore. But where you wake up, you go to work, you come home, you make dinner, you might go out to the movies, or you might go see a friend or something. But then you go to bed and then you start it all over again. You're just caught in this never ending loop of, you know, working to live kind of a thing. And it's just, you're just caught in this never ending cycle. And uh, it's just, it's so sad. And that's what it made me think of. I was like, God, I'm so glad I'm not stuck in that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. To me, it made me think of 
all of the people who they they don't say what they mean. They say what they think other people want them to say. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I, definitely. Like, yeah. And you know, I couldn't help but feel a lot of sympathy for Logan in this scene where it's James Dellis's defining life moment where in a million simulations every single time he landed at that moment and every single time he made the same choice to turn his kid away yeah well and i think the thing that got me too i mean was the performance of the actor that plays logan where he's just standing there and you hear this voiceover and he says you know that's the last conversation he ever had with his father and you know he took his life what was it six weeks later or six months later or something and just the look on his face as, you know, he's presumably watching his father walk away. His father's just, you know, turned his back on him, literally and figuratively. And he just looks completely devastated. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty powerful, actually. Yeah. And I think it is, I don't know. I think it's, it's a really interesting callback the way that, Logan's final bit of dialogue was the same as the host version of Delos from the earlier episode this season. Where he oh, about, um, you know, I'm, all the I'm way at down the bottom. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. I knew that it was kind of calling back to that, but I didn't realize it was so similar. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so then we get back with Maeve and the gang. They're being pursued by QA. And QA is basically the stormtroopers of uh, <laughs> Westworld. These guys just show up and, and, you know, they have to be fought off. And, of course, this is where Sizemore sacrifices his life to buy time for Maeve. Uh, he gets to finish the Hector speech that we never got to see in the first episode of <laughs> Westworld. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, another human buys it here. Yeah, law, uh, one of many in this episode. Now, his character has had quite an arc. Did you, did you buy this self-sacrifice thing from him? I did. Yeah. I've actually been, uh, I've been on board the Sizemore train this season. I think, I think he's been pretty good. I've liked him too. I, I, I don't know. I, I, didn't nece- necessarily see him as, as sacrificing himself the way that he did, but I will say that I've really enjoyed his journey through this season. I'm sad that he didn't make it out of this season, but um I really liked how he has changed because I could not stand him last season whatsoever. No, I agree. I, uh, I think he's had a great turnaround. Um, and he's dead. <laughs> yes. Uh, we get a brief scene with Akechida leading his people, uh, talking about how if, at least if they die this time, they've controlled their own lives. Uh, man, I love Ghost Nation. I love these characters. I do too. I love this scene. Um, yeah, I, I really, I am, uh, I'm, I'm left at a loss for words when it comes to Akechita and his story because I was just so enamored with it. And, you know, I was talking earlier about the two episodes that, you know, didn't really move the overall plot forward, but just to me just felt magical. And I am just completely 
just enamored with him and his yeah. story. And this one of the things that I like the most about this finale is just the ending of his story. Yeah. And I loved it. So we then go back to Dolores and um, Logan and Bernard. One of the other really cool details while they're down there in the uh, in the forge. I love how, and this may have actually happened in the prior scene with them, but uh, how the code for each book is written as like music for one of those player pianos. Yeah. Because yeah. that is a direct callback to Ford's speech yes. at the end of season one. Yes, that at the in the end they became music. Yeah. Yeah, I I loved that nod. I loved that well, first of all, I love that it looked like they were in a library and it was all these really interesting bound books. And then, yeah, that each of them were like a player piano sheet music. I guess I don't know what that is actually called, but uh, yeah, I, I I absolutely love that callback to that line from season one. I thought that was so cool and a really nice subtle touch. Yeah, and of course, you know, something about the Nolan brothers and books because man, Interstellar has a whole thing about fifth dimensional library kind of thing going on oh that's true Hands i forgot about that the bookshelf yep so i thought that was kind of interesting uh we also have a few a little bit of cross-cutting going on here but essentially we have dolores who has seen everything she needs to see she's you know down there in the forge she comes out of the the simulated part of it uh her and bernard are there they open up the door or at least bernard opens up the door uh which i think the visual representation of the door as this kind of being like a seam in reality like a stitch in reality just opening i yeah. thought the visualization of that is just awesome you know at first i was like what the hell but then i totally bought into it because i loved the visuals that came later on with it yeah it's uh, it's really cool i that was one of my that was definitely one of my favorite parts of this um finale along with a catch of story um but i even like the the sound of it which is really strange to say but i i just thought the sound of it was so cool yeah and i mean i guess what we're really seeing here is that the valley beyond is actually a simulated world where the host's minds could live forever untouched you know in this in this place it's basically heaven yeah it's essentially heaven yeah and bernard wants to give the hosts the choice to go there dolores wants to take that choice away from them yeah which to me brings up questions about what her motivations are because fuck if i know because <laughs> she's actually the character that i'm having the hardest time tracking her motivations this season i know it's it's all over the fucking place. And it's like, okay, so she wants to just, first it's like, oh, she's going to destroy Westworld. And it's like, well, no, now she's saying that she's going to destroy the people's world, the real world. And then, well, no, I'm going to destroy the cradle because that's a chain. We need to be free. And it's like, well, no, then I don't want you to be free because 
so we're gonna take that away from you too so (laughs) i yeah it's 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 all it's almost like emily's to me where um the man in black's daughter it's like she was all over the place it's like what are you doing have something simple go for it and continue with it stop changing your mind or adding new layers to it it makes as a viewer it makes it muddy and confusing and um yeah i had a i had a real issue with this yeah it's uh it's it's definitely it's definitely muddy her story because she's talked about the valley beyond she's talked about you know she even killed the one ghost nation guys like you don't deserve to make it to the valley beyond well why yeah if you just didn't if you just wanted to to destroy the valley beyond anyway what's the point yeah so then what do you care just let them go there then i mean do they just have different interpretations as to what the valley beyond means is the valley beyond just where the forge is located is it not is the or is the actual going through the door to the valley beyond like that's the stuff that i'm legitimately questioning yeah i'm not sure i get dolores's overall plan yeah i I'm with you 100% on that. And I think that's why I kind of enjoyed Maeve's storyline so much more. Because hers was singular. Hers had a straight line. We knew what her motivation was. And we were with her on this journey. And the journey went, you know, places maybe twisting and turning and not exactly where she thought. But the entire time... She was completely linear with what she needed to do. Her ultimate goal stayed the same. And, you know, like I said, there were little things that would kind of fluctuate and change. But overall, she had the same direction. With Dolores, it was all over the fucking place. And then half the time, it's like, well, she's Dolores, but then she's Wyatt. And now it's like, it's it's going all over the place and then well later on we'll add another layer to it later in the in this episode um yeah it's um very puzzling let's just add that to the list of confusing things yeah like the way i understand dolores's plan it was to get to the valley beyond because that's where the information on human beings was located she could then take that information and leverage it to her advantage to what end, though? Right. To what end? To escape? You know, how much of this did she have have kind of foreknowledge of? I don't know. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of what I was saying about her um, at the beginning of this season. It's like, so she wants to destroy everything, but then what? Like, I'm going to go into their world, and I'm going to, I know what they can I know what they can do and I I know how to destroy them or I know how to take over and okay, then what you're going to get into their world and then what? Yeah. But now, no, I I don't want to go into their world. I just want to destroy everything. Right. So we get a little bit of cross cutting here that, that happens. We see um, Maeve and Clementine kind of there. We see Clementine kind of starting to, on horseback roll up and we see hosts behind her starting to fight Maeve starts to uh run from her a little bit then we cross cut that with the man in black getting on an elevator and going down then we have bernard and dolores having their standoff about you know what to do about the valley beyond and the hosts 
and Bernard kills Dolores. Um, you know, so then that's when everything really starts to kind of, all hell kind of starts to break loose in this sequence. Yeah, this is, for me, this is when the episode really starts to go pear-shaped. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to continue with that. No, it's, 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 from this point, it's, it's like everything just starts to get even more muddy. I mean, there's a lot that's been very confusing up to this point, but from here on out, it's like, what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other part of this too is that Bernard kills Dolores, but the valley has already started to be flooded, so, uh, that's kind of a thing that's going on. But then you got this whole melee taking place outside where all the hosts are starting to kill each other. Uh, but I do love, 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 love this moment of Maeve seeing her daughter and her daughter's new mom kind of run through the valley beyond because Aketra brings them there. And the way she buys them time. The actual visual image of it is just jaw-dropping and beautiful. The way she holds her hand out and stops everything. Oh, yeah. It's but stunning. I'm actually going to wind up, wind up. I'm actually going to rewind a little bit. And, you know, we were talking about the imagery of the the door opening. One of the things I absolutely loved and I thought was really creative of what they did is the visual that they set up as the hosts are running through this rift and you see them continue forward, but then you see their body fall over the edge of the cliff. Yeah. And the explanation of that, that when they pass through it, their mind continues through, but then they're leaving their bot, their physical body behind. Yeah. I thought the way that they conveyed that on the show looked so cool where you have that one ghost nation guy that just is like fuck it i'm going i'm running through it and they're all watching him and they see this happen and we see for the first time you know his body go over and him go through and then he turns back around and he can't see it and then the other thing that i thought was really fantastic was we have felix and um the other guy i can't think of his name right now as they're pulling up thank you felix and sylvester as they are uh riding up i love the fact that they couldn't see it yeah they're like what door which was so great because that was what um bernard said you know back in season one when they're in that house in four's house and he's like what door and i loved that i thought that was a nice little subtle thing that the the people couldn't see it we're so used to the hosts not being able to see yeah. something that's real so yeah. to see it kind of flipped a little bit is very cool and then another visual that i thought was it was really great and kind of subtle like as you're as more people or more hosts are passing through this door there was a shot where you could see um like over the cliff and you just saw this like mound of bodies laying there and it's just it was kind of haunting but yet you know knowing that that many made it through i just thought it was kind of cool 
Yeah, uh, and and you know, of course, I was talking about the the shot of Maeve kind of stopping all the action. The way that it also the sound design of it, the way you have this melee that dissolves into silence, is yeah. just so cool. And it's just like, again, you know, this episode has had some moments where they sacrifice the story for the visual. I am fully okay with this visual right here. Yeah, me too. Until they shoot Maeve in the stomach. And she dies. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting that at all. Yeah. Now, this actually, like, we all know that Maeve will be fine. Uh, But this actually would have been a good end for her character. Yeah. I mean, are we led to believe that we think this is the end of her character? I mean, we don't know. I mean, we suspect she'll be back. Yeah, 100%. 100% coming back. But it would have been an interesting end for her. I mean, hell, they gotta have some people come back next season. There's a lot of dead motherfuckers in this this episode. No, there's there totally is. And they basically got rid of all the humans in here. But, I mean, because we see later on that there's at least five pearls that have made it out. Yeah, I mean, but we'll then, talk like, about Hector that later. And Armistice, and you know, they all end up dead. Yeah, Sizemore dead. Yeah. So, I mean, this scene is great, but again, it just sets up this thing where it's like Dolores is able to walk through the the, the bullets and the gunfire, and Maeve is taken down by it twice this season. I get that we're mirroring, but what are you trying to tell me, though? Yeah. Like, does Maeve, uh, after Maeve was laid up in the hospital, shouldn't she have turned off all of her pain receptors? Well, I guess she did, actually, when she was in there. She did turn off her pain receptors because that, that fucker was like, yeah, without, what's that line that he says to her? Something about, without, something about pain and pleasure. And she's like, the pleasure is all mine. And then hmm. she has him killed. And then those, Two hosts come in there and start working on her. There's that moment where all of a sudden she completely relaxes. It's because they took away her pain receptors. Because she yeah. was in, like, extreme pain. You they know, took it away. But, I mean, just because she's not in pain. No, she wasn't. Because we see her smiling as she's there. I mean, it was a shock that she got shot. But I don't think she was in extreme pain. Okay. How's this for an idea? I just, I just had a thought. Okay. And I don't know if this is fully accurate or not. But Go for it. Maeve and Dolores are both older hosts. Correct. But Dolores is not one of the 3D printed flesh and bone hosts. She's the oldest model that is not does not have internal organs. Right. And Maeve does. Oh, yeah. So is that the reason why Dolores is not as susceptible to gunfire? She doesn't have vital organs. Yeah. uh, Yeah, that would make sense. I Ah. would buy that. Yeah. Because I don't believe that Dolores was ever remade as one of the newer model of host. Yeah, I don't think so. That might be it. Yeah, I would buy that. I, yeah, I can I can be okay with it then, hmm. if that's the case. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, we solved something. All right, we're done. And thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> May the force um, be with you because the night is dark and full of terrors. I just wanted to say that at least once. Uh, <laughs> we've got Bernard <laughs> deactivating the um, the encryption. We got QA running around killing the hosts that are left. We got Bernard and Elsie meeting up again. Bernard realizes that all the hosts are dead. They go back to the Mesa. Elsie gets killed by Hale. Bernard is desperate and starts begging Ford for help. So much happening here. Yeah. This is this is when the episode now is just rapid fire. There's just shit happening left and right yeah. now. There's it's a just lot every- going on. There's a ton of shit going on where it's like it just it's leaving you with your head spinning. But the death of Elsie, I actually really like what this triggers in Bernard. Because to, for Bernard, Elsie was somebody who, as a human being, he had respect for. He believed that she had the person. She was the kind of person who, by sheer force of will, could could make things happen. He says as much in this season. And then to see him, to see her gunned down by Charlotte Hale, is I think the tipping point for Bernard, where he basically says, "You know what? Fuck these people." Yeah. Well, Free yeah, it was a collective delusion. Well, I mean, not only that, but then earlier, I think it's earlier, where, is it earlier or later? See, fuck, I don't even remember what happens in the timeline. But Elsie's still alive, and Bernard and her have this conversation, and he's like, you helped Hale? She's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, I did. And then now what are we going to do about you? Because you're fucked, basically. And I think that was a turning point for him because he put so much faith in her and Ford was telling Bernard, no, don't trust her. She can't be trusted either. And, you know, here all of a sudden he's finding out that Ford was right. Yeah, he absolutely was. And he has now gotten himself to a point where he's begging Ford to come back. And of course, Anthony Hopkins does show up. Ford is there in the scene. Um, you know, that's where Bernard talks about free will being a collective delusion. You know, all of it just really, really good here. I love Anthony Hopkins so much. And I just I love it. the line where he's like, I need your help. And Bernard Hopkins, uh, um, not Bernard Hopkins. I was combining their names. Bernard <laughs> Hopkins is a boxer. Uh, Anthony Hopkins says, "I've already begun." Yeah, I love that. It's just so great. You know, I have to say though, the whole thing with Elsie, it really, I really didn't like it. I'm not talking about her being shot. I mean, of course, I didn't want her to be shot because she was one of my favorite characters. I just didn't like the fact that she was like, "Yeah, I helped Hale." Yeah, I, you know. I'm I'm an opportunist, you know, I just, I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that fucking Sizemore had more of a redemptive arc than Elsie did. I just really didn't like that at all. Yeah, I mean, but to be fair, it, it, it's kind of the position that she was put in. I mean, she didn't trust Bernard. Bernard kept hiding things from her. Yeah. She's not fully in the wrong here. Bernard was kind of a wild card, you know, and potentially a danger to her. I know, but I just, I just like the fact that I wanted her to be on the side of the, 
the hosts and I like the combination of her and Bernard and oh, yeah. I and just so, didn't like where it ended up. So then of course this is where we start to kind of bring some of this timeline stuff a little bit closer together where <laughs> you see Bernard in the forge with Strand with Hale and he starts saying I'm sorry you know um I killed them all. He's like, yeah, you killed all the hosts. He's like, no, I killed all of you. I thought that's a great line. Yes. And of course, then we get the reveal that he has remade somebody. And the person that he has remade is Dolores as Charlotte Hale. Yes. This What the hell? What is going on? Yes. Full on Holores. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's kind of cool about this, though, is if you go back... And watch some of the Charlotte Hale stuff from after um, Bernard shows up in the, I believe it's in the cradle. Or no, all the stuff that takes place when they find out that Bernard's a host and all that stuff. Hale's character is played differently. Tessa Thompson plays it differently. And she had been doing it all season. So she plays Hale and Holoris differently. Holoris. <laughs> That's what Tessa Thompson calls her. I love it. And the other cool thing is, if you watch any of the behind-the-scenes stuff, Tessa Thompson talks to Evan Rachel Wood about, you know, little different things that, that she could work in to make the character seem more like Dolores. And one of the things that Evan Rachel Wood mentioned was, you know, Dolores will do a thing where she will move her um, eyes, and then her head will follow when she reacts. And so there are several times where Tessa Thompson does that very thing. There are even physical body positions, like when Dolores gets really close to Bernard and looks at him from the side. Tessa Thompson, as Dolores, does the same thing. Interesting. Now I'm going to have to go back and watch all of those episodes. Yeah. To pick so, up on those bits. Yes, he has decided to bring back Dolores as Charlotte Hale, and so then, of course, Dolores ends up killing every human, and ends up killing Bernard, too. Now, to make things a little bit stranger and harder to follow, we have this whole thing of Bernard and Ford, where Bernard has to scramble his memories, which ends up being the shot of him on the beach in the first episode of the season. Right. And that's, like, where the timeline stuff starts. To, it's just, that's where it starts to get very confusing, I think. Mm-hmm. But that it does continues. not take place in the immediate aftermath of him being shot by Dolores. Right. That actually, like... That next scene of him on the beach with Hopkins actually takes place much earlier than where they are in that moment. It's so confusing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one more thing that uh, that I forgot to mention when we were talking about the Valley Beyond. Um, when Aketcha gets in there and Kohana is there. Yes. Why is she there? I don't know, but I'm happy that she was. I'm happy that she's there, too. But was I don't know how that, or why. Yeah, like, is every host potentially there? I think that's the vibe that, that I'm supposed to get from that. That every host is there or can be there. But I think then that they should have 
shown that maybe in a different way. Like, see Teddy there, or see other hosts that well, we know we that have died. Well, we do see Teddy there. Do we? We do. We see Teddy in the valley. We see Dolores put his little mind ball on the thing and send yes. him to the valley. <laughs> his little mind ball. Yes. Oh my god, I love that better than Pearl. <laughs> So she puts his mind ball on the thing, and then, of course, we see Teddy there. Uh, his mind ball. Yes. That's my favorite. And so that's how we start to kind of get the get into the resolution here, where we see Dolores as Hale walking, and she runs into Stubbs, and, of course, we get the fucking reveal that Stubbs is a host. See, I didn't get that at first. At all. Yeah. It's not explicitly stated, but the show's intention is that he is a host. So the reason why I didn't get that is because, so he said, I'm trying to remember what he says. Of course I can't. Um, He says something about how we all have a role to play. Uh Right? He does. But I, right, thank you. But I took it as, okay, so earlier in the episode... We have system Logan is talking about humans and how humans are so simple and they have to play by their, um, by their code and stay in their loops, just like how the humans feel about the hosts. So I took it as some, because they're having to scan Bernard and Hale when they scan her he's able to see that she's a host or something and he is like we all have a role to play you know i'm a human or whatever i'm on the side now of these hosts because he's already shown sympathy towards them earlier in the season and that he's just letting her go i didn't take it as him being a host i took it as him being a human being a host sympathizer I guess. Yeah, I that's how I kind of thought of it too when I first saw it. Um and I also yeah, like he definitely knows that is that Hale is a host. Right. In that moment, but apparently, uh according to the director of the episode, it is also part of the fact that Stubbs is in fact a host. Now again, not explicitly stated within the show, so they could always change it and it could be an instance of a director saying to an actor i want you to play this as though you are a host right so because it hasn't been explicitly stated within the confines of the show they could go back on that at any time but for the purposes of this scene Stubbs is a host yeah okay The other thing, too, that's kind of happening here towards the end of this episode is that Dolores has now changed her mind. Um, You know, she has evolved, and hosts can do that. They can change their mind. They can change. That's the difference between them and humans. They have this ability to to change their course of action. They don't end up falling into the same traps of human beings. So she changes her mind and then somehow redirects the valley beyond to another satellite something. And permanently breaks the connection between the host world in the Valley Beyond and the human world. So not sure where that plan B came from. Yeah, I I don't know either. 
Uh, and th- that also implies that those people that are in the Valley Beyond are now gone for good. Yeah. That's what I took it as, as well. Now, I feel like a catch of the story is probably over, but I yeah. kind of hope he comes back. I liked him a lot. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we see that the man in black has survived. We see all the bodies of the other hosts that are strewn about. Uh, we see Felix and Sylvester that have been asked to salvage some of the hosts, which means that Maeve, Hector, and Armistice seemingly have a lifeline uh, for them to come back next season. The other thing that we see is within her little bag there, Dolores has five mind, mind balls, balls. <laughs> five pearls in her bag. Uh, and we don't know necessarily who they're for. No, I would assume Teddy. No, because she no? put his in the, the put his on the forge before she left. Oh, that's right. So I don't um, think his is one of them. Hmm. And I thought Bernard, but at the end where she's in the real world at what looks like Arnold's home. She says she recreated him from memory. Well, Bernard was recreated from memory. Yeah, that's true. The memory of Arnold. That's how I took that, that he was created from the memory of Arnold. So one of those mind balls is for him. But then who are the other four for? And who is in the body of Hale? Maybe they destroyed it. No, because at the end of the episode, you see Evan Rachel Wood and you see Tessa Thompson. They're both in in frame together. They're communicating with each other. So those are two different people, I believe. I totally forgot about that. And there was an interview with uh, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan where they talk about how one of the fun things is going to be to guess who that person is, who is in Mm. the body of Hale. I have not watched any of the behind the scenes stuff yet. So what this has essentially established here in these final scenes is that Dolores and Bernard are uh, in the real world. They are going to be opposites. They are the Professor X and Magneto now. Yes, that is exactly what I thought of. And I was just like chomping at the bit, waiting to say that. And you took it from me um no but that's exactly what i thought of like this whole time that that dolores is having this conversation i was like it's professor x and magneto so now that you have dolores and bernard established as the you know professor x and magneto of this world it seems as though their relationship is now going to be at times uh a rivalry and at times probably a partnership, they are now kind of the new Ford and Arnold. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering too if it's because of having that I don't I don't want to say it's necessarily competition, but to to have that um I guess tension and, and well competition between each other if that's going to if she realizes that having that is what's going to push you further than if right. you were partnered together. 
And it, it also seems like both characters have evolved this year. And it seems yeah. like that now in the real world, Dolores has taken a new step in her evolution. And it also kind of seems like Bernard is now realizing, like his whole moment with Ford earlier in the episode where he's talking about, you know, how Ford wasn't really there. It reminded yeah. me a lot of Dolores's final moment of the last season where you know, before she yeah. goes and kills Ford, where she starts hearing her own voice. And this is kind of like Bernard starting to hear, finally starting to hear his own voice. Yeah, exactly. Even though he's been awake, he hasn't been fully awake. And I think now he is. You know, it's so interesting, though. I mean, this whole entire season, I really thought it was Dolores and Maeve were like the two things. Like they were going to face off together it was going to be Dolores against Maeve right. or something. And that was not the case at all. And I'm not disappointed by that. I'm just, I'm just simply stating that, you know, this whole time, it's like I, I thought that they were two storylines that were parallel that were going to end up converging. And that's, well, kind of wasn't really necessarily the case. Well, and they still, and it, it still may very well be that eventually that Maeve and Dolores become the, ultimate heroes and villains of this show yeah uh, i think they've talked about season three and how it's going to take place in multiple places you're going to have parts of this show that are going to take place in the real world you're going to have parts that are going to take place in the park and i'm sure that one of the things that's going to happen next year in season three or whenever season three comes out 2020 whenever um i think one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to see Delos as a company trying to put together the theme park again. Yeah. Because it just seems like the kind of thing that that company would do. Oh, yeah. But I think they're also going to need some new human characters. We don't have hard. We have hardly any human characters left. Sylvester and Felix. Yeah, pretty much. Although I like the two of them, so they could have their own spinoff as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Well, and then, of course, we also have to talk about the man in black. And you mean the credit the- scene. The Marvel end credit scene? Man, this was an end credit scene and a half. Season one had a very short end credit scene with uh, Armistice. Yeah. This season had like a five minute sequence <laughs> that confused the hell out of me the first time I saw it. Made a lot more sense to me the second time I saw it. Okay, so help me because I've only seen it once. So help, uh, help me make sense of it. So basically... What happens here is that any everything after he was left lying in the dirt after he blew his hand off, everything after that that you see him in takes place 10 years maybe in the future, beyond decades in the future. Okay. So every time you see the man in black after that moment where he's left in the sand, it is well in the future. And essentially what's happening here is that at some point, William has uploaded his consciousness into a host body, and he is replaying these events over and over and over again, trying to work out a reality where he does not kill his own daughter. Oh. So this is his cornerstone moment, the same way Jim Delos kept coming back to that moment with Logan. William keeps coming back to this moment, trying to work out a different outcome. Huh. 
And actually, it is part of his overall arc as well. And, you know, because William mentioned earlier this season that he has been judged and he is appealing the verdict. Yeah. And it is him, you know, consistently trying to uh, go back and relive this over and over and over again. Well, I did not take that at all <laughs> so when I saw this. He is not a host at any time before he's left lying in the dirt. Left he's lying a in real the, person. Left lying in the dirt at what point? After he blows his hand off. After he blows his hand. Okay. He is a human being all the way up through that. And then everything after is host William. Well, except for except for when he's lying on the uh, gurney. He's a human there. At the end, huh. where he survives. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and watch that. Motherfucker. Yeah. So it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot I didn't, to unpack. So I didn't get that at all. William is not a host now, but he is a host in the future. Right. And you can tell that that last scene takes place many, many, many years later. Because of the warping and the aging and the weathering on the entire set. Yeah. Huh. All right. So that is the end of season two. My goodness, there's so much going on here. Jesus Christ, this was loaded. This it was like an hour and a half. Yeah. Episode. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's It'll be an hour and it, a half podcast. Yeah, pretty much. Um yeah, it left my head spinning. It's still spinning right now. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to put on an audience. Uh yeah. I think they achieve some very cool stuff in here, but I think anybody who is saying that they are confused is well founded in their confusion. Yeah. Like, I can understand both spectrums here. I can understand people who really like this episode, because there are things I love about this episode. But at the same time, there are some things that you're kind of like, oh, okay. Because um, Dolores' plan, the season still doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I... What was it? It was a, a couple episodes ago that I was like, this feels like a season finale episode. And yeah, I don't know, it was maybe three episodes ago or so. And like that to me, I was like, if this was the season ender, this would feel satisfying. There was a good cliffhanger. And then here we have this one. And I'm kind of like, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, there's, there's, I almost feel like the last Jedi, how I feel about that. It's like, you know, there's stuff that I like, stuff that I didn't really care for, stuff that I maybe would have done a little bit different. You know, it's not saying much. But it, it just kind of leaves me feeling indifferent. Yeah. I'm, I, 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 I'm not excited about stuff. I'm not, I mean, of course, I'm always going to look forward to the next season, but it's like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of meh about it. I'm looking forward that. to next season because I actually really like these characters a lot. Um, yeah. as far as the story trajectory goes, I think the show is going to almost have to reinvent itself. In a little bit, I hope in, a, so. in a couple of different ways, because um, they are going to be exploring the human world. So I think the the 
the mystery and mystique of the human world, that's going to kind of come crashing down a little bit next year. And then they're going to, they're going to show us that reality. I think you also have to see how things are going to be at Westworld. Does that go into like complete reset? And then they also need some human characters. Not only do they need human characters, but they need sympathetic human characters. They need human protagonists. Yeah. Because yeah. now that they keep revealing that everybody's a host, well, okay, fine. And now you've got hosts good, people evil, but then you need to kind of blur some of those lines a little bit. And is that going to be Felix and Sylvester? They're really some of the only ones we have left. There's got to be somebody that's going to be their, well, I guess lack for a better word, um, their host into the people world. Because there's got to be somebody in there that kind of explains stuff or, you know, is able to give them a cover or something. Um, but I I really think that if if the next season is just Dolores wandering around the real world talking about how she's going to keep destroying or wanting to destroy it, I'm going to destroy their world. To me, that's just going to be really boring. Yeah, well, I mean, what would be interesting to me would be if they get into the real world and they find out the real world sucks. Yeah, let me back in to Westworld. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the cool thing is from a storytelling perspective, it really opens them up to a lot of different options. It also sounds like when you read Nolan and Joy uh, talking about the the future of the show, it seems like this was a way, this season was something that they had to do to get everybody out. Yeah. And it like I think they're more looking forward to what's coming in the future. So I think there are reasons to be optimistic here. Oh, I'm not I'm not pessimistic about it, but I just I've just left so impressed with this entire season and to me the last two episodes have been just been kind of meh. Yeah. Well, and then also like the, the, they also have to resolve the idea of when death is final on the show. Right, because it's not yeah. always. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. Um, but, but again, yeah, I think season two had some really incredible episodes. That whole episode where we get the the reveal of, you know, Delos and how they were trying to bring him back to life as a human, I think that episode is excellent. The Kiksuya yes. episode, I thought, is just the absolute best of this show. Uh, so I think season two... Um, people I, like I enjoyed the finale. I'm looking forward to season three. Um, there were some clunky bits, but I also think that two of the episodes best or two of the series best episodes were in this season. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I didn't uh, particularly care for this season um, finale, but everything else leading up to it, I was totally on board. Awesome. Well, that wraps up our Season 2 coverage of Westworld. But that's okay. we still got a lot of other great stuff coming for you guys. So uh, You've heard our thoughts on the season finale, but we'd definitely like to hear your thoughts as well. So what confused you? Uh, what questions are still lingering in your heads after watching the finale that maybe we didn't cover here? But let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Nerdflix Chill. Also, check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. 
And if you are listening on one of those platforms, throw us a five-star review. You can also find our new episodes at lrmonline.com. Wanted to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Until next time, may the Force be with you, because the night is dark and full of terrors.